Amen. Thank you, Tim. Welcome. Um, I think I know everyone here, but if you don't know me and you're watching online, my name is Josiah. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and it's a privilege to be able to preach the Word of God and study His Word with you this morning and worship Him in the study of His Word. So if you would, please uh, pray with me, and uh, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father God, thank you, as Tim just reminded us, for giving us this living, active word of the Lord that pierces through both bone and marrow, God, and both reveals our fallen hearts and also tells an amazing story of how you have promised to make us yours. That the ever-echoing theme of the Bible from beginning to end is that I will be their God and they will be my people. And as we'll see here, even though we continue to forget that, you graciously remind us time and time again that you will do it. So Father, where we need encouragement, encourage our hearts. Where we need repentance, Lord, God, give us the grace to repent. God, where we are anxious, Lord, give us peace. May we know you more this morning, and may we worship you and all we say and do. Amen. When I was a kid, I had a problem with sleepwalking. And you might be wondering, why did he call sleepwalking a problem? Well, when my parents first found me sleepwalking, I was about five years old, and it started off pretty tame. I walked out of my room and stared at them blankly and said, we have to find the scroll. They said, Josiah, what are you talking about? We have to find the scroll. And after a while, they realized I was sleepwalking. They told me to go to bed. About a year later, we found out I sleptwalk again because I went into the dirty clothes hamper, put on a few pairs of dirty clothes, got back in my bed. Flash forward a little bit further. I am about nine. We're on vacation together as a family, and my parents wake up to the sound of the door slamming and me 50 yards down the hallway, just walking. We slept with a a chair in front of the door from there on out when we went on vacation, which any good parent would do. Flash forward another four years, I'm camping. I wake up a quarter of a mile away from the campsite, no idea where I'm at. So continuously, I progress to this scary place of sleepwalking. One day I just stopped. But in these examples and the many others that I didn't tell you that you can ask some friends, I had no memory of what happened. I either woke up in the middle, a quarter of a mile away from a campsite, and extremely confused, or someone had to tell me what happened. If you've seen someone sleepwalk, their eyes are open and they're there but it's also like they're not. They're kind of living, but they're really just asleep. One of Lisa's favorite quotes from one of the weirdest movies that she's made me watch, Joe versus the Volcano, Meg Ryan says, my father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, 
total amazement. While we don't actually sleep, walk in this life necessarily, some of you may, we do often lull ourselves to sleep in the face of trouble, tribulation, and anxiety through either the trouble itself, because we become so consumed with it, or through forms of entertainment, Facebook, Netflix, you name it. We like to be a distracted people. And because we are distracted people, we are so quick to lose focus because of our immediate surroundings and forget the promises that God has made for his people. You see, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of political unrest, you know, right, that God's mission has not changed. He is still building his church today, July 5th, 2020. It's July. July 5th, 2020, God is still building his church. He's not surprised by COVID. He's not surprised by political unrest here in America or elsewhere in the world. He's building his church here in Titusville. He's building his church in Saudi Arabia. He's building his church in China. He's building his church in Sweden. You name a place on the earth and our Lord Jesus Christ is still building his church. Do you know why? Because he has said he is going to do it. That has not changed. Even though God's people continue to forget to live in his promise, God remains faithful to keep his promises to his people, and he charges us today to actively remember them. See, here in this passage, we're going to see in two sections that God's people believe that he has forgotten them and that God is asleep. But God responds by saying, I'm not asleep. I will comfort you. And in the second section, God responds to them again saying, no, you wake up. You're the ones who are asleep. And as you wake up, I'm going to tell you what to do. So we're going to see the first section here in chapter 51, verses 9 through 16. God's people cry out to him. See, the call for God to awake in verse 9 shows us how often we think of God in the same way we think of ourselves we literally and figuratively fall asleep, right? So why shouldn't God? But if you've been with us, one in community group or just here through um, on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about this, how we, all, we often make this mistake when we talk about God and we think that while we are created in God's image, that somehow God is created in ours. But that's just not true. God is outside of us. He is not bound by the things that we are bound by. Psalm 121, one through four says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Also Colossians 1.17 says, in him all things are held together. In this, we see that God is always active. It's not as if God has somehow chosen to be active at different times in history, like some sort of superhero who comes in and saves the day. No, in every aspect of every moment in all of our lives, God is involved in holding all things together. See, God's people are misguided in telling him to wake up. But this cry out to God isn't a complaint against him or an indictment, but it's a bold faithful prayer. 
See, when God's people remind him of his history, of how he has saved them, they're saying, we believe you can do this. In verses 10 through 11, their prayer calls to mind when God delivered his people from Egypt. That reference as to you cut Rahab in pieces is a reference to Egypt itself. It's another word for Egypt. Or pierce the dragon, another name for Pharaoh. Which this, this recall to history makes sense because they know Babylon has come in, another foreign nation who is going to take them away from the land that God has promised them. God's, God's people show their confidence in his ability and willingness to save them by recalling all that God has done for them. You see, the historical stories found in this book aren't just there for our entertainment. They're not there to serve as some sort of, hey, let's learn from David and be bold and courageous, people. That's not what they're there for. They're there to remind us that God always keeps his promises. And I want to take a second real quick. There's no children in this service here, but to the children who are at home right now watching with your parents. Ask us as your parents to read Bible stories to you. And parents, read Bible stories to your kids. And kids, when you learn the Bible stories, tell them back to your parents. Because believe it or not, you have a better memory than we do right now. We tend to forget pretty quickly. There's a reason God called, desires childlike faith. We need you in our lives too. While the prayer that God would awake is misplaced, there's a pattern of prayer here that we should be encouraged to follow. We should remember and remind God of the good things that he has done for us. It's not that God has forgotten what he has done. God hasn't somehow forgotten his history. But when we acknowledge those things, when we acknowledge that God is Savior, we're acting in proper relationship with him as those who are being saved. You see, God wants us to come to him boldly. When we tell him of what he's done, we're worshiping him. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't go boldly to the throne of grace because we have a perfect prayer put together, right? We don't go to the throne of grace because we have our lives put together. We go boldly to the throne of grace. We go boldly to our God because Jesus Christ is our mediator, right. right? God isn't calling us to go boldly when we have everything together. He's calling us to go boldly as we are. If you're in here this morning or you're watching with us and you're angry with God, or you're confused, or you just want to simply say, God, where are you? Do that. Take that to him. That's what Israel do, or Judah here does. They take it to him, just what's in their heart, though wrong, and what does God do? What is God's response? He answers, and he reminds them. So again, if you're in here this morning, you're hurting, you're confused, you don't understand what's going on. God isn't calling us to just figure it out inside. He's not expecting us to have it all together, but he's expecting us to come to him. God responds with comfort in verses 12 through 16. He reminds them that he is the one who will comfort them, but he also rebukes them with a strange rebuke. 
saying, why are you afraid? But even more than that, who are you that you are afraid? And at first glance, the question doesn't make sense. When we typically say or see in scripture, like, who are you to do this? We think that's very presumptuous, audacious, conceited. Someone's acting in a manner that they're not supposed to, acting with a status that they don't have. So why would God rebuke them this way? Typically, pride, or excuse me, fear is a sign of weakness, not a sign of pride. Well, you're a smart group, so you've probably already figured it out. But our fear ultimately is a sign of pride because in our fear, we presume that we have a greater ability to comfort ourselves than God does. John Piper puts it this way. God promises to be our comforter and protector, but we deny the credibility of God's word and allow fear to set the limits of our obedience. Every time we let fear hinder us in an opportunity to share the gospel, we are proudly regarding our emotions as a more trustworthy portent of the future than the promises of God are. Here in Isaiah, God's people have become overly impressed with the human factor as history plays out. They have forgotten that it is God who has promised judgment will come, that all of the judgment that is coming their way is because God has decreed it, not because Babylon has somehow risen to power, right? Keep that in mind with our history as well, right? The the stress, the pain we encountered due to COVID-19, It's not just because COVID happened. COVID hasn't surprised God. God is involved. That might be a hard pill for us to swallow, but it's what he has shown us in scripture. It's how God has defined himself. Despite the fact that God told Judah he would judge them and he would restore them, they're now looking at the situation as something completely outside of God's control. And don't we often do the same thing in our own lives? When we live a life of sin and God disciplines us as his children, like he tells us in Proverbs 3.12, we're shocked. (sighs) Why did this happen to me? Well, it's God disciplining us. We become so consumed with our circumstances that we lose focus on God's mission for our lives. With all that said, in spite of Judah forgetting God's word and turning their focus to man, God reminds them that he will in fact be their comfort. In 51 verse 13, he reminds them that he is their maker. In verse 15, he reminds them that he is their God. And finally, in verse 16, he reminds them that they are his people. When you look at the world, And not just in the midst of a pandemic or political unrest, but also when you look closer into your own home, do you find comfort? What about when your spouse isn't the person who you married? What about when your body doesn't work like it used to? Do you believe that God is still your maker? Do you still believe that God is your sustainer? 
What about when you scroll through Facebook or watch the news? Is God still holding all things together? Or are you tempted, like we all are, let's just own up to it, to think that maybe God has fallen asleep? When we see all of these troubles, where do we look? Does our focus become on the trouble itself, the pain and the frustration that it's bringing us? Or do we direct our eyes towards Jesus and remember the promises that he has made us, that we will be his people? Do you see the grace and patience from our God here? Remember through history, God has time and time again told his people the promises that are coming to him. And now in the midst of judgment, what's their first response? God, where are you? But we don't forget that, right? No, we do. This is why Jerry Bridges wrote his book and Discipline of Grace. In it, he says, preach the gospel to yourself daily. And he defines that this way, saying to preach the gospel to yourself then means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed, bl shed blood and righteous life. It means that you appropriate again by faith the fact that Jesus fully satisfied the law of God, that he is your propitiation, and that God's holy wrath is no longer directed towards you. You see what's happening there, right? He's saying daily you wake up and you say, God, I am a sinner. You confess those sins, the sins that only you know right? The deepest, darkest parts of your heart that you know that no one else knows. There might be sins that you confess to others, but there's those others that you confess straight to God. And you don't wallow in those like some sort of curmudgeon, right? No, you confess that sin, and then you look at Jesus. You look at the cross, you remember the cross, and you walk in that goodness of his grace. See, we don't remember and this promise, and we lull ourselves to sleep Figuratively speaking, we become so consumed with different pains, frustrations, distractions of this world that we don't face the bleak reality of this world and we don't, in response to the bleak reality, walk in the life that Christ has called us, which is higher than where we typically walk. which is why God says to man in the second section, wake yourself up. God tells Judah to wake themselves up from their drunkenness. And by being drunk, he means essentially unaware of the reality around them. But as it says in verse 21, therefore hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. If not with wine, what are they drunk on? They are drunk with the wrath of God, and it has immobilized them. These consequences, these consequences which they are facing and which they are now fearing have completely consumed them, and they have made them unable to live the life that God has called them to. Doesn't it often just feel easier to be like a turtle when facing trouble and just retract into your shell, to just kind of turn on the TV, turn on some noise, not face silence. 
the world in many ways sees, sees this problem as well. And they're speaking to it, right? The world sees problems in the world. But the question is, what's the answer? If you spent any time on social media or you've talked with many people in the world, you've seen or heard the term woke, which simply means alert to injustice in society, especially racism. While as believers, and as Tim talked about two or three weeks ago, we should be alert to injustice in this society, especially racism. We should be aware of what's going on in our world. However, it doesn't stop there. While the gospel is 100% anti-racism and calls for justice, a call for justice is not simply the gospel. And what God is calling his people to hear in terms of wake up is more is less about what you think and even what you do, and it's a condition of our heart. God calls Judah to wake up, but he makes it clear that they can't. In verse 18, God says that there will be no one to guide them or to take them by the hand, that there is no human effort that will somehow bring them out of this slumber. And why is God telling his people to do something that they can't do? Well, as God always does, he painfully exposes our condition of his people to make the good news of his amazing intervention more potent and more explicitly clear to us. Think about that for a second. Rather than God just letting us walk on and stumble on in our drunken stupor, he intervenes. While no one is there to grab us by the hand, he grabs us by the hand. And that's what we see in 21 through 23 of chapter 51. God tells his people that there will come a day when rather than his people stumbling around without guidance, he will take his wrath, he will take the bowl of wrath, he will take the cup of staggering from his people. They will drink it no more. But we all know the cup of wrath is still there. Does that sound at all familiar to you? Jesus prays that the cup of wrath would pass from him if it's the Lord's will in Matthew 26, 42. But what was the Lord's will? That the cup of wrath would be taken once and for all and would not be held over the people, over God's people any longer. See, to make it very simple, very simplistic, when we say Jesus died for you, Jesus died for you, for our sins, what we are saying is that Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. And rather than having this cup of wrath, to use the same illustration, the same metaphor, continuously pouring out little by little on God's people, never being satisfied, it was satisfied, drank once and for all, completely by the person and man, Jesus Christ. That's the amazing news of the gospel. Whereas rather than having it hold over God's people, he takes it once and for all. And so God now tells his people to wake up and respond. To no longer walk in the way of people who are under the wrath of God. 
God is calling Judah in verses 52, in chapter 52 on to stop feeling sorry for themselves because of their problems and their struggles. Last week, Tim so kindly reminded us that we are soft. If we were better geographers and better even historians of the church, we would realize that we have the cushiest Christian life ever. It's a reality we live with. We didn't choose it. God chose it. But when trouble hits us, we don't need to fall and just wallow and mope in our troubles. If you're like me, when trouble hits, you're very, you want others to sympathize with you and you want others to just see how rough your life is and just how resilient you are. But the question is, in the midst of our pain, frustration, aggravation, and just sadness, what's our outlook? Do we become so consumed with how disobedient our children are that we forget what our mission is to them as parents? Do we, when, when our spouse hurts us, are we unable to show them grace and mercy and forgive them the way Jesus did? Because, ow, woe is me. That's not to say things don't hurt us and frustrate us, right? We're human beings. Like God knows that. He, he understands our pain and weakness. That's why he, that's another part of him becoming man. Like he dealt with everything we deal with. He knows our pain. He's not negating our pain in this, in this call, right? But he's saying, what are you doing with that pain? What are you doing with that frustration? Are you medicating it? Both literally like with alcohol and drugs or maybe through Netflix, Facebook. I keep harping on those two because I just think they're very prevalent in our society. Do you try to put away the noise rather than deal with it and take it to God? Like Judah in this story, we forget that God who, as it said in verse 13, is the maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. We forget that he is not surprised by our pandemic. He's not surprised by anything going on in this world. He's not surprised by your anger towards your family. He's not surprised by your doubts that he exists. He's not surprised by whatever fear you are facing. In all of our struggles, whether self-inflicted or just the matter of the fall, he wants us to go to him and he wants, us, he wants to be our comfort. So but what are we waking up to? What is God calling his people to wake up to? See, God is calling us to take our problems to him and look at the promise that God has given us. Our circumstances of this life, the name we make for ourselves, the family we build, our possessions, are not the defining factors of believers. See, this is a call for the believer to wake up to the reality of their freedom in Christ. Our freedom and our identity in Christ is not supposed to be some sort of lofty spiritual nirvana that we achieve through intense meditation. Our identity in Christ is to be walked out in the gritty mundaneness of every life, whether that's in the midst of a pandemic or in the midst of prosperity. That's why Paul writes, I have learned to be content in all. 
See, in chapter 52, one through two, God calls his people to put on their beautiful garments, shake off their dust and rise. See, God is calling his people to live the way that he sees them, not the way that their captors, Babylon, sees them. God tells them to be the royalty they are because of his work. Rather than staying seated in dust, which would have suggested just defeat and submission to their enemy, God calls them to rise up and share in his glory. As God's people, we aren't called to walk around moping about the life we're living. That's not to say we aren't aware and we don't deal with sadness and stress and anxiety. But as believers, by looking at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we rise above those. That's what it's called to be different as a believer, right? We rise above the culture, not because of ourselves, not because of our morality, but because of Jesus Christ in us. In verse three, God drives home the point saying that we were sold, they, sorry, excuse me, they were sold for nothing, meaning he handed them over to oppression on his own volition, right? Also meaning that he will take them back for nothing, meaning on his own volition. He could redeem them because of himself. He did not buy them back from Babylon. Paul speaks to this in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, and we sang about it today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We were reconciled not from Satan, right? We were reconciled to God, by God, from God. Our problem was with God, right? right? Judah's problem isn't with Babylon. Our problem's not with COVID-19. Our problem's not with whatever unrest we face in this world. Our problem's with God. And he has given an answer to that. And so that's why I, I, I picture God, which in this situation, and the way he's even talking about this, he's like, I've told you what's gonna happen. I've told you, I am going to judge you. I'm going to rise the, raise the Babylonians up and they are going to capture you. The Babylonians capture them like, oh man, the Babylonians, <laughs> like they're completely missing the point. And he's like, you're mi-. that's why he's saying, wake up. Like, haven't I told you this? Good. Wake up. I, I'm the one doing this. Your problem's with me. But you know what? I'm still going to be your comfort. Wow. Yeah. Like it, it's one thing, right? Like as a parent, it's one thing when, your child makes a mistake and you, you tell them again, like Jude right now is just, won't get it. He's two. He has to stay in his room. If he comes out of his room, he's going to lose something. The boy runs out of his room like too early or during nap time. We take something away. He's like, what's happening right now? That's us with God. Like he has told us time and time again, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And I'm the one in control. And then it happens and we're like, COVID, like, or whatever it is, like, president this, like, our, our, we're completely misfocused on who's actually in control. And even to bring it closer, we're like, parents, siblings, boss, you name it. Like, we're, we're so impressed by the fact of, man, I'm way off my notes. I apologize. I've got to ring it in because we got to finish this. There's a second service. 
as people, God, let's back up a second. God reconciled, meaning he made us right to himself. Again, he didn't buy us from Satan. God isn't buying Judah from the Babylonians. He's not buying us from some sort of captor. He's making us right to himself. He's buying us from our sin and death, right? All for what purpose? Verse six, that my people shall know my name, that he would be known by us. As people who have been redeemed, which home will we live for? You see, there's a reason many ancient authors use the term sojourner. It's the image described in the Pilgrim's Progress as well. From the cross to glory, it's all something in between, all getting not to a good life, not to a good path, but to the presence of our God. There's a song I've been listening to and would highly recommend by a man named John Guerra. It's called Citizens. And in it, he says, you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants and you call us citizens and you welcome us as children home. We come as people who do not belong, right? But what does God do? He calls us citizens made right by Christ. And in that we find, as St. Augustine said, rest in him. Because our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. We find that that's what our hearts were missing all along. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What are you doing while you wait? What are you thinking about? What are you talking about? What is, what is your language surrounding COVID? What is your language surrounding political unrest? What is your language when your spouse frustrates you to no end? What is your, uh, to take that even further, beyond just frustration, what is your language when your marriage is falling apart? Or your child is walking away from the faith? Or you're losing your job? I, I, I am here to 100% confess to you, I am so quick to just complain. Like, again, to think back to history and just why it's so important to know our Bibles, I'm so much like the Israelites in the desert. God, why are you just giving us food? Like, can't it be better than this? You didn't have any food before this. Aside from that, we just set you free from being slaves. I'm so quick to go to, woe is me, this stinks so bad, or be like a turtle and just retract into my shell and just like, please, can I read another article about football? Can football please happen? <laughs> right? I say it jokingly because I know we're all like that. Instead of facing the reality that God has put in front of me as an opportunity to wake up to the amazing, awesome, spectacularness of our God. Yes. 
who has been so involved to lead us along, to bring us home one day. The reality is, is we are, I'm going to start the same way, or end it the same way I started. The reality is, we are a distracted people. And because we are a distracted people, we are a forgetful people. And as a forgetful people, God, God knows we're a forgetful people. And because that, he's been so gracious to give us what some church traditions call sacraments. Things like baptism, coming to church, the preaching of his word, and communion. And all of those things are so that we might remember so that we might come to a place. If you have multiple moments in your life where you're like, I feel like I just accepted the gospel, good. That's great. Have a moment with God. And that's what we're gonna do now. It worked perfectly that we're doing communion for this time we need to remember. All right? If you're with us and you're not a believer, I want to ask you to refrain from taking communion. If you, and by believer, what I mean is that you haven't confessed your sin, professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to forgive him those sins, and made a commitment to follow him. I'm not talking like you've lived a perfect life, anything like that. However, if you haven't made that decision, I want to invite you to not take communion. But if you haven't and you want to, you can do that right now. And in that right now, I want to invite you to take communion maybe for the first time as a believer. And first, uh, Justin and the band, would you come up? Now, for the believers who are taking communion, I want to invite now, we're going to just have a moment and Pray and confess to the Lord any, any sins that you might be holding on to. Go ahead and do that now. And now, after confessing, Flee to Jesus, as Jerry Bridges reminded us, and remember the gospel. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Father, may we remember your life, death, and resurrection. May we remember that in our own lives. May we remember that as we interact with our family. May we remember that as we interact with the world around us. May we be shaped and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by your power and by your will, Lord. Stir in us a a desire to know you, a desire to live for you. We can only do this by your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.